The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Welcome to Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. I am your co-host, J.P. John Paz, from the two-man power trip of wrestling. And of course, joining me is the star of the show, the former WWE World Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoke Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, and arguably the greatest trainer ever in the history of professional wrestling, the doctor of desire himself, Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, how are you doing today? Doing great today, John. Actually, I spent the weekend in Cedarburg, uh, Wisconsin. Had a great time, great weekend. Been traveling. Uh, I left like at, uh, wow, 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Got back, uh, man, I got back probably about 7.30 tonight, so, or today. And uh, but, but great night, great weekend, and, man, can't wait to do it again. Was that for uh, David Hero out there? Yes, it was. And uh, they had, a, they had uh, I, I got to tell you, he's got a great group of guys. Uh, he's got some really good talent. He's got a nice place. Um, I think it's called the Circle B uh, Arena or whatever. They, they, have, uh, they have other events there. But, but what a great, what a great uh, organized event. And, yeah, had a great time. It was just a, a busy, busy weekend. Didn't get a lot of sleep. But um, felt, I felt like I was back on the road again. And I was glad. I'm really glad I'm not, though, because I sat on the runway for over an hour. The tarmac, I guess, for over an hour uh, today. And you know what? Um, uh, you know what? If that's the biggest problem I have today, I'm doing okay. So, But it just took a long time to, to get back home. What was going on with American Airlines? They, 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 they didn't know. And uh, they... We're trying to tell us that we were waiting for our spot in line, but there was no other planes on the runway. And then there got to be two planes on the runway, and we still sat there for another 45 minutes. And uh, then when we started moving, uh, the pilot came out and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry for the delay again, but they're going to have to change this. Uh, um, what's it called? The uh, He called it something. And I wrote it down because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, let's see. The uh, uh, cart, that's what they said. They have to push it, push the cart, yeah, get the cart to, that was pushing them back. They have to get another cart because that wasn't, that wasn't working either. So anyway, lo and behold, miracles happened. We got it working. We got out on the runway. We took off and landed and here I am. It was, it was what it was. You can't, you, sometimes you just have to be patient and, and let things happen. 
I tried to let things happen, but patience was not very long in my vocabulary today. You never know sometimes what's going on with uh, like on the tarmac, and uh, and you can't really argue or say anything because they'll kick you off the flight, or you know, yes. like they'll treat you like a criminal if, if you talk back to them too. It's nuts. No, right, and and please, you know, don't get me wrong. Well, I don't care how you get me, but I don't want to talk to anybody I had never met on a plane. And when you're sitting next to me, I don't want to engage in conversation. I don't want to make small talk. And this lady next to me wanted to try and make small talk. Thank God I had to wear my mask because I was uh, texting and I was just doing the mm hmm And I think she realized I don't want to talk to her. But uh, she tried uh, on, on three occasions to uh, engage uh, how... How frustrated she was, I think, just to be engaging with someone on the plane. And she picked me, and I was right next to her, and we did not get the look of the draw. I, sometimes that's why I love the mask, because you just put that phone down, you have the mask on, don't make eye contact, they can't talk. Well, my first flight from uh, Chicago, I had to fly into Charlotte. The first flight, um, they said it was a full flight, and I had an aisle seat, and a nice lady got in next to the uh, window and we had nobody in between us and they they said please buckle your seat belts we thought we were getting ready to go and she again i don't want to get to small talk but she says wow we won the lottery saying there's nobody in the middle of us and five minutes goes by we uh, still haven't done the official takeoff uh here comes a fella he's a good 260 easy with with a pizza with a pizza and you can smell it as it's coming down the aisle and i look at him and he looks at me he goes I'm, I'm right here and i thought to myself boy if if she jinxes any other way but but yeah that that was that on the first flight and then the second flight was uh i i guess it was just one of those things it was destined to happen john but uh, you're right. You can never tell what's going on, and that's why airports really aren't fun. Traveling's not as fun as it used to be when when uh, <laughs> when it was what it was. Yes. When yes. you had when you had to just be at the building, and you, know, you weren't rushing home. You just had to make it from town to town. Well, yeah. When you you just got on the the first flight out, and sometimes you get on a red eye back and. Uh, but, you know, times, they are changing, and so is the travel industry, or as some people say, the travel industry. So there you go. But like I said, if that's the only problem, you're doing good. Could be a lot worse. Now, we were just talking about this off air. I saw Bruce is now in the Karate Hall of Fame, and you were saying, you know, it's all above the board. He is, he's a, he is a black belt in karate. Yeah. I was just shocked to hear that. Well, uh, I think this is the fourth time he's been put in the ASK, the American Society of Karate, uh, Mr. Bill Gray, Sensei Bill Gray. So, yeah, it it, it happens. And uh, uh, But I was put in the Blackwell Hall of Fame one in 1972 when I was 12 years old. That's the American Society of Karate Hall of Fame, just so you know. And uh, it's a it's a it's a well respected organization in Houston, Texas, and actually across the state of Texas. And but you know what? Yeah, once again, it's like being the North American champion in Amarillo. You're the North American champion in Amarillo, but uh, I think there's more to North America than Amarillo. So there you go. 
I was True. wondering about that. You're the North American champion of Louisiana. Wait, you don't go out of Shreveport? How's that work? But but we were also talking off off air about how things actually do work, and uh, man, it gets clearer every day how it works. So anyway, it's that's just, my that's my thought. It was just funny seeing that picture. I'm like, no way! I was like, it's gotta be shitting me. Bruce no. and I, I was like, holy crap! No way! Yeah, but I guess I, it's true. Sure, it is true. That's the fourth induction. He he used to uh, <laughs> he used to be the host and uh, uh, MC for all the black belt ceremonies. You know, when you get your black belt, it's a big thing. And the American Society Crowd has done it great all these years. Bill Gray been the president since 1970, and we both known Bill since 1970 when he was 20 years old. And uh, look. It's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful honor. I think we're going to throw a huge banquet next time we get together and uh, put the ASK Hall of Fame plaque or proclamation. Or what was it that he got? He didn't get the ring. I asked him, so are you guys handing out the rings next year? What's the criteria? Because I want to I want to put my name in for the uh, 2022 Black Belt Hall of Fame. The 2022 ASK <laughs> Black Belt Hall of Fame. That's what I want to do. That's my next, uh, my next plan. The next venture. So, let's say Bruce got in a fight. Bruce could do some damage in a, in a real fight. Um, knowing what I know, uh, if you're talking about a real fight, there's no no such thing as a, a fair fight. So I think if if certainly, um, I, from what I know about Bruce's um, abilities. Uh, he's stronger than he looks. He's one of those guys that has the word that we can't use anymore, but that uh, kind of uh, uh, Rain Man strength. And uh, it, it's, it can be uh, deceiving. And um, his uh, outlook on a lot of things is, let's see, uh, there's danger in the air. What do I have to do to uh, smother it? And and that's the idea I got from him. So and, and I've I've seen him smother some some uh, crazy smoke signals over the years that they were coming across as you might be entering a realm of uncomfortable danger, not necessarily deadly danger, but uncomfortable danger, and it may not bode well for you the rest of the night or the next morning. So so I've seen him handle that a couple times. As far as you and him, who's the better karate master? I think that's uh, up for speculation, degradation, realization, and uh, um, overall, <laughs> whoever you want to pick. So uh, uh, we we did we used to have team matches too. So. Uh, my team won. His team won, and uh, I, I, I was, I was. He got his black belt. I think at eighteen. I got mine at eighteen. And we're four years difference, five years difference, something like that. And uh, you know, we, we both taught up until the time we got full time with wrestling. I was working in the office. I, we, I was right, actually when I graduated high school. Uh, I started teaching karate with my my good friend Kevin Calberg in. Uh, uh, in Houston, Texas, four nights a week, 
And I would go to the wrestling office in the day for Paul Bosch when I graduated. He, he hired me full-time. Then we were teaching classes uh, all over the city of Houston. And uh, uh, then when I started wrestling full-time, you know, I, I obviously stopped that. But I wore my black belt and my gi to the ring a couple times. Never seen those pictures? I wore it in Houston a couple times and some other places. But... Uh, Karate was not my passion. Karate was not my first love. It was a great thing to take because I got to know a lot of people. And Bill Gray gave me a, a great opportunity to uh, go out and do demonstrations and work in front of people, do things in front of people, meet Bill Superfoot Wallace. You ever heard of Bill Wallace, Superfoot? Mm -hmm. Sounds very yeah. familiar. Okay, well, uh, Wallace was Elvis Presley's instructor in Memphis. He was the world middleweight champion. Uh, Bill brought him in in 19, probably 73, 74. Yeah, I have a picture. I can't find it. I've tried a couple times. I know I still have it. But this picture of me and Bill Wallace, Bill Superfoot Wallace. And uh, he, he wrote on it, to Tom, give up the wrestling. You'll never make it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, through the years... Uh, when I did have my first match, you know, Wallace was in Los Angeles, and again, my my good friend and sensei, Bill Gray, came out to L.A. to see me, and Wallace and him and uh, Bill's wife at the time came out and to the Olympic Auditorium, uh, watched me wrestle, and, and I was so happy to stick it in Wallace's ass, because, well, wait a minute, stop. That didn't Not physically. Right. Not physically. Not what I'm saying, no, I just, the fact that he said I wouldn't, and I did, and, uh, all that stuff. So, so yeah, man. Uh, Bill Wallace, and he's also the guy that found John Belushi in the bungalow at uh, the uh, Chateau Marmont, I guess. So. Oh, yeah. To what's me, the, just, what's the chateau? What was it? What's the name in L.A. that that? Uh, what What was the hotel? Was the Chateau Marmont? I don't know. Uh, okay. Anyway, I would know that, but I don't. But Bruce just doesn't strike me as the karate guy. I don't know why. I just think of him as just brother love doing creative in the back. Well, uh, I think, as I have found out through life, you don't always get what you see. You don't always see what you get. And uh, you're not always looking at the, uh, a rose sometimes. You know, sometimes behind that rose is manufactured horseshit. And... Uh, uh, I think that's way with a lot of facets in life. You you have things that you look at and say, you know what, um, that is actual concrete. And then when you really find out it's nothing more than an airbag, you're amazed because it's an airbag instead of what they said it was. <laughs> Such is life. You know, uh, a few years back, I was doing uh, grappling. I was doing some jujitsu training and stuff. So the sensei who owned the whole place where we were doing the jujitsu – he comes over and he starts training and stuff. You know, he's a black belt, smaller guy, but, you know, he's jacked. And obviously, you know, he could kick ass or some karate. So the professor brings him in to do some grappling, some jujitsu. So we're, we're having a, like a little bit of a sparring match, just a grappling contest. I go into full turtle shell, turn my back to him. And he's just like, he didn't know what to do. He's just like, whatever. So he just jumped on me. On the little turtle shell. Turtle shell is always like a very defensive position. Yes. You duck him. That's so, a turtle, yeah. So as soon as he put his arm in, I got out of the shell, got his arm turned, flipped around, flipped my hips, got him in a Kimura. But it was just funny. He was just thought because, oh, I'm this karate guy. I can kick this guy's ass. 
And my professor was laughing because he knew like I was just kind of fooling around. Like, oh, I'm just going to do a turtle stall. I'm afraid of this guy. And all of a sudden, I snapped and it didn't snap his arm, but I got him and he tapped out. But I was like, that's so funny that these karate guys think that, oh, I'm just going to jump on the ground. Can't just jump on the ground like that. Come on. Well, once again, uh, if you're going to fight or you do any kind of uh, combat or any of that uh, karate, jujitsu, whatever it is, you have to have some kind of plan, I think. And you have to know. Um, I was, I was talking about it this weekend. Actually, you have to you have to be expectant of any and everything, and and whatever happens, whatever happens, it has to be second nature, and that's the way you become proficient. Not everybody's the same level. Not everybody's going to have a great day or bad day, whatever it may be. But on any given day, it's been said uh, you can beat anybody if if it just happens to be the right time. If it happens to be uh, you catch somebody with a punch right on the button, right in that certain spot. And <laughs> I, I was, uh, again, in Cedarburg, Buff Bagwell was there. And Buff was talking about how, and I like Buff, I really do. He's, he's, he's a good guy. But he was talking about his, his fighting days when he got into a fight. And he threw a punch and knocked this guy out. And uh, <laughs> and he said someone, I won't mention who, it brought him out, brought him into a room. How'd you do that? says, what do you mean? And the guy said, how'd you do that? And both said, oh, I don't know. I just did it. You know, I just threw the punch. And I, I guess I caught him with a lucky punch and knocked him out. So, I mean, you know, it could happen. It could happen with anybody, anytime. You never but, know. But Buff, you know, the very famous backstage fight with the Hurricane, he came up with the big loss. As I don't know if you heard that story before. but well, I've heard the story. Yeah. It was it was actually at the uh, in Stanford at tracks, I was not there for that. I was uh, changing the tips of my shoelaces on some desert island in Bohemia, and I wasn't allowed to come back yet. So, uh, but yeah, I heard that story, and it was really, really. Uh, I mean, once again, Shane Helms <laughs> talking about a tough guy, talking about a tough kid who 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 uh, had confidence and wasn't going to let anybody run over him. And and honest to goodness. <laughs> That's what the world's all about: is going what you, going after what you want, getting it, and not letting anybody take it away from you. And uh, if you have to fight for it, so be it. Now, just quickly before we get into our topic of the day, which is actually going to be you training Seamus, just wanted to mention this: Jeff Jarrett, very complimentary of you on his uh, podcast, saying you guys known each other forever, rode the road together. I know you guys had that awesome feud in USWA, but he's very complimentary. I'm sure you, you'll come up again and again on the show. Well, we're going to have Jeff on um, our show, X-Ray, and we're going to actually watch uh, our match from the Sportatorium. It's a cage match. and Awesome. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, every match, yeah, every match I had with Jeff, it was one of those things you just had chemistry. And it was just the same thing with a guy like Brad Armstrong. You just, you, you had chemistry with some of these people or, or – uh, dirty white boy. You uh, some some guys more than others. You, you got in the ring and, and uh, it, it was so it was second nature. You didn't have to call things. You didn't have to call everything. You didn't have to. Sometimes you, you didn't have to say a thing. It was just a uh, the body language coming in uh, for a clothesline or, or or a kick or whatever. You just set yourself up and. And if it's there, it's there, and, and that's how you take it. And that's that's what uh, is missing in the business today. I think a lot of that uh, second nature, spontane, spontaneity, and uh, unpredictability 
but at the same time, uh, it's looking unpredictable to everybody else, but that's what makes a pro a pro, to be able to take advantage and understand uh, when you're in a position, he can do something to you or you can do something to him safely, but make it look like it's supposed to look and make it be what it's supposed to be. Uh, not everything is going to be, you know, feather light, but you can't have everything uh, stiff as hell where you get your brain rattled after <laughs> after Gawkum would clothesline me the first match, first shot of the night. Now, I'd have to go four more nights with him. My brain was rattled from day one. So the key there was uh, uh, just knowing how to uh, get in position, and Jeff was an, was, was an excellent, excellent uh partner for that to do love it doing a lot yeah. of shows jeff he's really pumping up his uh his podcast for sure he's doing a lot as of well. uh media and stuff yeah as well he should because i'm sure he does have a you know i i was i was there for um a lot of episodes in his life and i don't know that they're going to be covered on the podcast but oh my gosh it was he he has had a a very uh, unique and interesting life, and and uh, you know I know Conrad likes to uh, um, have controversial stories, and he likes to find out the real deal, and and I think Jeff has enough in his uh, bag of stories that he can't, and 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 he's got he's he's had a. A unique, interesting life. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Let him tell the stories because I would tell him my, with my spin on him, and I'd like to hear what he has to say about it. Yes, yes, love it. Yeah. Now, as far as today's topic, we're going to talk all about Sheamus, who's still there right now in the current United States champion. When did you first meet Sheamus? Where did you first meet him? Uh, I, I first met Sheamus in FCW in Tampa, and that had to have been. Um, 2005 maybe 2004 or 5 do you know when he came to FCW whenever that was it's either 05 or 06 I thought yeah oh, 05 or 06 and um, when he came in he was he was an IT guy from uh, from Ireland and uh, he came in looked the part he had already done a couple movies I think he had been wrestling in Ireland for a while but uh he looked like somebody right off the bat. So when we met him, or when I met him, I'll speak for myself. Uh, he he was he was uh, he had that charisma. He had that energy. He had that uh, spark. That when you looked at him, he didn't look like everybody else. And he did stand out. He had that red hair, and he had that accent, and uh, big legs, and was was a was a powerhouse kind of guy he, one of those fellows that you uh would have to actually you know just the opposite of, of what it was with jeff you know not stiff but you'd have to come back and hit him pretty hard for him to to register and you had guys like that he reminded me of a of a johnny valentine or uh uh a bruiser brody type guy and and when when we when I looked at him and I saw how he had these big clubbing hands and forearms, I actually told him, I said, uh, you need to drape your opponent all over the top rope when he's on the apron and come with those big clubbing 
forearms like Johnny Valentine because that was impressive, especially when Valentine pulled a guy over and when he worked with Dory Funk or Wahoo McDaniel or, or Stasiak, whoever Valentine walked in the ring with, both guys would leave with welts on their bodies. It, it was a battle, but but when John did it, the sweat would fly and and immediately you see the the red marks and with Sheamus, uh, same thing. And so he he adapted and adopted that into his move set, and he does it to this day. So he was very impressive and and uh, uh, a great a great guy to be around. And we we wanted him to be the, the FCW champion when we first saw him because he just had something about him that made him special. That's pretty cool though. Johnny Valentine didn't realize that that's where he got it from. Kind of you telling him to do it from Johnny Valentine. That's like a cool little side story there. I had no clue yeah. about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he, uh, he did it. He liked it. I mean, and, and that's again, you can suggest things to other guys and uh, they do it. Nah, it's not what they want to do. It's not how they feel it. But, but Seamus took to it and, uh, you know, he, he, he had the confidence. He just needed something to do with it and no, uh, know that it was okay to be solid and no one was okay to do that and figure out something else to do with it. He had the broke kick. He had some other things in his arsenal, but uh, uh, it's all a matter of finding and listening to people and taking suggestions and uh, keeping it or checking it off and never doing it again. You need those signature moves, obviously, you know, that, that, that greatest hits move set, right, that you always have that the fans kind of you know, either want to see or get used to seeing. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's uh, everybody wants to say Cena only had five moves, possibly, but I've never heard, I, I've said this many times, I'll say it again, I've never heard one person on their way out of the arena after watching Cena or Rock or even Austin. Yeah, I'd never heard him one time say, boy, what a hell of a hammerlock Rock put on tonight. Now, <laughs> do you see that top wrist lock Austin had? Oh, my God, beautiful, the stance, everything. No, people aren't going to say that because that's not uh, what they're going to remember. They will remember the signatures and the big things. But what, what everyone needs to understand, after you do the moves, you have to have the in-between, the little details in-between. How do you transition from this to that? And then once you get that, what do you do for this again? And how does it flow? And that's that's the part people don't really want to pay attention to because it's it's. Uh, I read something with Daniel Bryan. I I copied it last had been last week. The time the days are running into each other again. But or Daniel Bryan was on a, a podcast. Uh, I think it was Mom's Basement. What I read and Daniel Bryan was asked if there was any advice you'd give. A rookie or someone coming up today, what would it be? And Daniel said, uh, "Learn the basics and fundamentals, and get a, get them down. And uh, you can learn cool moves, but it really doesn't take but five minutes to learn a cool move. You have to learn the in betweens and the after, what comes before the cool move and the after the cool move, because." If you don't know that, all it is are moves, and all it is are spots, one right after another, with no feeling, no emotion, no storytelling. No one wants to say how important storytelling is today. It's really not paid attention to. I take that back. Some people do pay attention, but not everybody. And it is important. 
And uh, if you're going to be great at this, if you're going to be good at this, okay. But good players want to be coached. Great players want to be told the truth. And we tell the truth as we know it and as we see it. And a lot of people don't like that. But, um, but be that as it may, if you have five good moves, you need to know what to do in between them. Because otherwise you just, hey, I got my five moves. Now what? So, and Seamus learned that, and, and and the great ones will learn that. The great ones will figure it out, uh, and and it takes time. It does take time. It's, you, we can tell you about experience, but we can't teach it. We can't give it to you. It's up to you. And I saw a bunch of people real quick on the side note. We'll get back to Seamus, but I saw a, a few people this weekend who uh, all they really need, and I say it like it's nothing, but it's everything. All they really need is to concentrate on their basics and fundamentals and then figure out what to do at the right time with a great high spot, with a great move, and how does it um, work in that story that you're, you're trying to get. If you have a great finish here, then start with your finish and work backwards and see what you need to do. And uh, again... It just takes a while to understand what we mean by that, and we can't always explain it in words, so we have to demonstrate it uh, in the ring, or we have to show you someone who demonstrates what we're talking about and see if you understand. And if you don't, guess what? Maybe you ought to try hockey. <laughs> With Seamus, what did you think about like his like obviously he did some British independence and he wrestled over you know in, in Europe and that part of the world was also one of the U2's bodyguards wasn't he not wasn't he or or he was the group's bodyguard at one point but you know he he's got a little bit of an entertainment background obviously training and wrestling background what did you think when he came over he was polished or not polished uh he was polished to an extent obviously but he had been around people in the entertainment business and he had done a few movies and he had been uh, uh, in in that vibe in that environment and so uh, did he need to be polished more of course you just need to get in the ring and, and get his legs under him and uh, uh, the, the thing he had going for him especially was his look and his attitude he he was uh, Heavier when he first came in than he is now. He's in fantastic shape now. But he knew, and we confirmed and, and, and reconfirmed and reinforced, the fact that he didn't look like everybody else. And that he needed to, to use that as his strength and use that to his advantage. And he did. Uh, so I, I was very impressed with him a lot when he first came in. And uh, easy to mold and coach easy to get along with and uh that always helps too what do you think about that look specifically like he's very pale obviously you know from where he's from but he's you know he's pretty jacked but it's also he's pretty big you know height wise and, and just everything he just seems like a prototypical vince guy like a guy vince would love just from what you hear about vince oh, he loves all these muscle bound guys stuff, but the pale stuff is good, and the red hair is good, you're saying, because he stands out from everybody else? Oh, well, let's see. Seamus, uh, Farley, and McMahon. 
uh, what's the correlation there? Okay, so the so the Irish connection <laughs> I can certainly understand. Oh yeah, and also you know, uh, yeah, he Seamus is a big guy, and yeah, standing out um, with that bright red hair and that pale white skin and that Irish accent. Um, he ain't from around here, <laughs> and uh, that's unique. And people want to know about that and uh, what makes him tick. Uh, you know, the food, the food uh, in Ireland is, is a little bit different than it is over here. So um, I think of things like that when I see guys from different countries. Uh, they, they come over here and they're, they're starting a new life or a new career. And their routine has to, has to mix. It has to, has to add up to... Uh, everything they need to accomplish their goals and you know you come into a new country with new food new people new customs new uh, rituals whatever you want to call them and it's not easy it's not easy for anybody to just pack up uproot and come on over somewhere new and that's for on both sides of the pond uh, leaving leaving the, the states and going to Germany or, or Anywhere, anywhere in Europe is if you know, if you don't know what to expect, it's a culture shock. Going to Japan the first time, so uh, when it, when when Seamus came over, um, I, I believe that he already knew he was unique uh, coming over here, and and knowing what was over here. This is Hollywood. This is the the land of the beautiful and, and all that stuff, and and we we judge everybody on looks and cosmic cosmic cosmetically or aesthetically is that how you say it aesthetically yeah you know what i meant anyway that that kind of stuff it 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 plays a part in the entertainment business um for sure and he knew that and i think he embraced it and uh uh we embraced it with him and and we're on on his side from day one with seamus and him coming in how is he like personality wise? Joker, River, yeah. like good guy? Yeah, good guy. Uh, we had Seamus and uh, a crew with uh, Tom Latimer. Uh, gosh, there was another couple guys that came in uh, from from England and, and uh, the others, again, on the other side of the pond, Scotland maybe, and. Um, and of course Ireland and they had that British or English or European humor whatever you want to call it Monty Python just the the, the odd and that some people call it odd I, I call it hilarious humor and, and were, he was a great guy he got it you could, you could kid with him you could uh, uh, ask him to do anything and he'd do it and I thought he had a great attitude from day one he did Seamus obviously gets called up kind of, I don't know, do you think too soon or just right as far as when he did get called up? Because it seemed like he was in FCW, then all of a sudden they're bringing him on ECW TV. And do you think it was too soon or was he ready? Well, let me tell you this. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me think about this for a minute. Well, he, he okay, when, when, when WWE was in Tampa, when they would come for house shows and FCW was there, all the guys would go down to the arena, go down to the show. I mean, if 
number one, they needed to go to be seen, and, and so the office can take a look at what what their progress and how they're looking, and hey, let's throw them in here, cut a promo. Uh, so Seamus obviously was down there a couple times, and they got to look at him, and he was one of the first guys that they wanted to get on the road because they saw that this guy was a star. And uh, when he had his first match with Cena, um, and they, and they were going to put the title on him, uh, I, I was watching, and he called me after it because it was like we we again we had always always had faith in him, and and when we knew, and I'm sure he knew that we believed in him. And he called me after that, and uh, you know he was happy, and and he he couldn't believe it, but he but he did believe it because of the way it went down, because of, of Cena's endorsement, obviously Vince's endorsement. But when you get a guy like John Cena to endorse you that early on, uh, it it really raised Doc and and made him understand that this is how it works, and he was doing things right. Along those uh, along those lines. So, uh, was it too soon? It look opportunity or, or luck is when opportunity meets to um, preparation. And you can't. You I don't believe you can ever say, "Oh wait, no, I'm not ready yet. Let, let me let me have another six months or let, let me have another couple weeks." No, when the opportunity's there, those are the guys that either uh, cross the finish line or get left way behind. And I, I don't think anybody can say he was called up too soon because there's no such thing. Maybe maybe it was too soon for some guys um, who weren't ready. And uh, But you never know when you get that one chance if it's going to come back around and how soon it'll come back around. And uh, if, you, if you flub it the first time, okay, maybe you weren't ready. Uh, will you get another chance? Just depends what you do in between that and your next opportunity. It, it's it's never ending and it's always changing. That's that's the great part about it. And that's the horrible part about it because what do I have to do to get my next shot? I'm not sure. I can't tell you exactly what you have to do, but you have to find out. And whatever that is, whether it's it's paying attention to business 24/7, being in the gym. Uh, having ideas, uh, making relationships, calling whoever you need to call, bounce ideas off whoever you need to bounce ideas off. And Seamus did that. Seamus was was making sure that even though he got his opportunity with uh, with Cena, uh, he wasn't going to just rest. He wasn't going to lay down and say, "Oh, okay, now now I'm the champion. I don't have to do anything else." He worked even harder, and he kept coming to class and when he could, and he trained. So. It really is uh, one of those things. The guys say, well, when all those top guys get the title, now it's time to coast. No, it's it, you work even harder. John Cena worked, I, I would say, pretty much for 10 years uh, doing something with WWE. And, and more times than not, it was multiple things during the day on top of training and diet and all the necessary things you need to do to be a success. He was driven. He had the attitude. Um, not everybody loved him, uh, but but he didn't care. He loved himself, 
and he knew what he had to do, and he loved his family. He was going to do what he had to do for his family. So same thing with Seamus. Uh, when he came over, I think he watched and learned and, and Cena was a mentor. I think there were other guys who were mentors to him. And, uh, uh, you know, it went from. Yeah, and I feel like with Seamus getting that early push with Cena, right, he got like a, a very early push. So it was almost like, wow, like they basically as soon as you bring him in, boom, we're going to try to make you a star immediately. Well, yeah, I, I don't know how immediate it was because he was with us for a while. And uh, we uh, tell you a story real quick. We, we when it, when it, was, it was WrestleMania at uh, at uh, in Orlando, I think it was, or not Tampa. It was Orlando outside stadium, and all the guys came from developmental. And uh, you know, at at at, uh, at WrestleMania. Um, yeah, TV, there's there's catering, and there's a big spread, and WWE does it better than anybody I've ever seen. And even, even other shows and other events, they, they just, it's for whatever reason, just uh, number one on that. Great spread. Well, WrestleMania, uh, and you bring everybody in back, everybody's on buses, and, and some people go straight to catering. You know, you have your... Guys on the card, your Hall of Famers, the, the guests, and things like that. And uh, Seamus, just you know, we were all following the crowd. wasn't uh, wasn't doing anything wrong. They didn't didn't do anything wrong. They just were following the groups and following the crowd. So Seamus went in, and everybody went in. Uh, got catering, and Seamus, you know, obviously made a big plate of catering. And some, I see your boys got taken care of. And I didn't hear that till later. And so then someone else came up to me and says, oh, so what's this thing about your boys going in and cutting in line getting food and catering? I said, I, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about this. He says, well, yeah, let me, let me take care of it. And when they walked, starting to walk over to the other side of the building where the guys were, where our guys were, were headed out and were hanging out, uh, and Seamus and a couple guys still had their plates of food, and this guy came in and just started reading them the riot act. And I thought, well, that was bullshit. All you had to say was, listen, you need to wait for our other guests to eat, and then you guys can eat after. But nobody, it was it was was not malicious. It was an innocent mistake. But this guy wanted to uh, uh, show that he had power and show that he could uh, yell at the developmental guys, and I think later on, when Shane, he never forgot that, and, uh, and I, I don't think he ever earned Seamus respect, and, and I think that was one thing this guy uh, made a bad error doing, but, but you know, live and learn, I guess, because who, who you see on the way up is who you're going to see on the way down. Are you allowed to say who that is? No, I don't want to say it on this one. I'll tell you Damn. later. I don't want to say, well, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. Not right now. Okay. All right. Um, as far as Seamus, when he calls you and stuff, is it strictly for advice or is it like like a pat on the back to like, hey, did I do good, coach, or does he want to learn more? 
No, I, I think it was a combination because he was getting confident. He knew his ability, and he knew what he could do, uh, especially for his size. And and that was a good thing about uh, him and, and a few other guys. When they would call, it was it was sincere and it was genuine. And it is it's still sincere and genuine to this day. I may not talk to him for months at a time, but when he does call uh, or text, same thing. It, it it really is just like we talked the day before. So uh, so he's had that sincere, um, I, I guess, feeling and acknowledgement along the way. He's not looking for a pat on the back. He's, he's looking to uh, ask what you think. And I'm not the only one who calls. Uh, but he's, he is looking to uh, see if there's anything also he can give back. Man, that's that's another great thing about him. When he wanted to come down and uh, shoot his series uh, at, at, at JPWA and uh, gave us a pair of his uh, tights and, and shirt that he, he wore when he was when he won the title from Cena the first time, and and he wanted to be actually uh, grateful for his time in FCW. He was very appreciative and. Uh, whether we had anything substantial to do with it or not, he he's always made us feel that way and always let us know that he's appreciative being there. So when he calls, it it, it is a it's a good thing to hear from him, and it's 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 uh, very you can hear it in his voice, and he's not just uh, full of shit. And by the way, I will use the word shit because the the announcers in AEW are allowed to use the word shit. Yes, yes, good point. Good point. Yeah, I have a great point. My hair covers most of it, though. Thank you. So, Sheamus eventually beats Cena, but in a weird thing. So, it was a tables match, puts Cena through the table, becomes champion. It was almost like, man, they were really, really trying to create a new star at that point. I don't know. It was almost like he wasn't quite pushed enough to be ready to be champion. But they gave him the belt early. And, he, you know, they really kind of were giving him a, a nice little run, a nice little push. So eventually, as he's going along, he starts a feud with Triple H. And I don't know about you, but thinking like, okay, we need to create the star here. We need to make this guy a star. You would think that maybe Sheamus would have beat Triple H at WrestleMania at 26. But no, Triple H beat him. And I believe Sheamus beats him the next pay-per-view. But nobody ever remembers the next pay-per-view. Typical Triple H move. Everyone remembers WrestleMania. So, oh, I got to go over this, kid. So it kind of – and somebody said to me – he almost never recovered from it, Sheamus, which is funny because he's been champion and stuff before yeah. him. But, but it's funny. It's like, why lose there to Triple H? Like, give the guy the like the elevation. Give him like you know, Cena's losing to him. You should like. It, it wouldn't really hurt Triple H, but he's got to get that. It's weird. It's like about Triple H. You got to know when to put the guy over, and it always seems like he screws that up. Well, uh, I don't really know how to react to that. Except, uh, history speaks for itself. Um, I, I, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing about about that. I guess since you, since you since you've laid it out in that, and I and I know uh, that's that's what you really wanted wanted to touch on was why wouldn't Triple H just put the guy over? Mm -hmm. Well, because. You have the guys uh, like your Buddy Rogers, like your Pat O'Connors, um, your Dory Funk Juniors, great champions, great workers. But I believe this, and um, 
you have to have not only confidence, courage, and belief in yourself, uh, but you also have to be selfish. And Ric Flair, I'll put Rick in that category too. All can be great guys. All can be really wonderful people. All can be a lot of fun to be around. No doubt. But when it comes to life and the business really is your life, you're going to make sure that uh, you are going to be named and brought up when they talk about the greatest WrestleMania victories or greatest WrestleMania matches or greatest pay-per-view or greatest uh, whatever it may be. And it ain't going to be popular with everybody. In fact, a lot of people are going to hate you. And it's lonely at the top for that reason because you have to do what you have to do to get what you want. And sometimes, and most of the time, you're going to piss a lot of people off. A lot of people are not going to like you for it. And... Uh, it really goes back to playing the game. It's the same thing when the Ultimate Warrior came back and had a guy named Triple H or Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And what's it going to hurt, you know, to do a DQ or something? No. The Warrior was going to beat him. And beat him in short time, too. So, I mean, does Hunter remember stuff like that? You bet your ass he does. Does he? Is he going to make it uh, better later on? No, he's going to make it better for him. Because that's who he's going to take care of. And that's who he's going to watch out for. So what, what the right thing to do in, in some people's head is uh, to put the kid over and let's get him over. Um, the game really is about convincing whoever is making that final decision that the final decision is to look at you as a bigger star. And you as a champion. And you're the guy because you need him and he needs you. So, I mean, I, 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 I can see the sentiment there, but I can also see the sentiment on the other side because um, those are the people who make the fire burn in the fireplace when it's cold at night. And without them, there is no warmth and there is no fire. And that's the way they look at it in life. Without them, <laughs> you would have no wood and you would have no match to light your fire. So they are the providers of that, whatever that means, man. I mean, no, the thing is, you had you have a guy who has a healthy ego, and you have to have a healthy ego to be the champion. You have to have a performer's ego, you gotta believe. And uh, it's like voting for yourself for president. If you don't believe you're, you're not gonna vote for yourself, why the hell should I vote for you? So if you don't believe in yourself, why the hell should anybody, anybody else believe in you? And, and Hunter, uh, knew what he wanted. He knew who to who to manipulate, what to manipulate. Not that that's there's anything wrong with that. That's business, moral, whatever you you want to talk about morally and ethically. Doesn't enter into business. It has no place. Has no place in business. Do you think there's morals and ethics in business? Of course there are legally. But let's let's if, if you really look at it in the history of this business it goes way back. To, to screw jobs before Montreal and and double crosses way long before Vince even got in this business and was even born. So I think that it's just kind of a history of that. And that's that's one of those basic elementary um, fundamental needs of a performer who is is truly believing and truly selfish in, in his own ways. And uh, I don't think that's going to change.
or, or, or during that time, that's that's that was the culture and that was the attitude. So Seamus being the young guy and already being Christian uh, by Cena, and and Cena was the one who came up with the idea and the suggestion uh, to 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 put Seamus over. So. He had already got an endorsement, and there comes the other guy saying, okay, you were endorsed, you kissed the ring, or, or, or they're going to kiss your ring, whatever it is. Well, I'm going to get it off you, and then you can come back, and I'll give it back. But uh, all the scenarios, the, the things that you, you certainly would think would be too ridiculous or too juvenile to even uh, come up with, uh, guess what? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they are just as juvenile and minute, but they play a part in everything for Seamus basically he'll win the 2012 Royal Rumble so it means big push world title match against Daniel Bryan the year WrestleMania and the funny thing is it starts off the show and he wins in 18 seconds destroys Daniel Bryan and you think like that's his rocket ship oddly enough that was Daniel Bryan's rocket ship like it was weird the crowd completely turned against him. so it was almost like oh no usually like you know, Warrior squashes Honky Tonk Man, wins the IC title to the moon. You know, mm -hmm. they, they've done it so many times. Like, okay, that's the guy's chance. To, he, he's getting pushed next. It was weird. The crowd almost, like, not turned on him, but they wanted Brian. So they were almost saying, like, hey, this is bullshit. Brian got screwed. And Brian ended up kind of going to the moon after that. Well, and once again, it's happened a few times uh, where organically it just happens where people say, oh, wait a minute. We see you're trying to push this guy down our throat, and we're seeing something else, and we appreciate Daniel Bryan's approach, and we appreciate what he's doing. He's more entertaining now. So it's a fickle crowd. It's a fickle audience. It's a fickle business. It, 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 that's what makes it so fun at times and so maddening at times. So, yeah, uh, while but, – but if you notice, I, I, I don't think – Seamus has ever been pushed out of the picture completely. He may have been put to the side a little bit, but he was still involved in something that was that was happening. Uh, unless he was injured, unless other circumstances uh, took precedent. But um, th those are just part of the things that happens in <laughs> in a crazy business like this. I think in any business like this, you know, if somebody's getting hot and they start saying, ah, this guy doesn't really deserve it. Daniel Bryan's a guy that's, that's entertaining us more now, and, he, and he's really come into his own. And, and, and again, you had fans who appreciated his style. So um, that, that, that's going to happen and continue to happen, man. I really do believe that, too. It's happened throughout many, many years, throughout the history of professional wrestling. Think about Sheamus. Royal Rumble winner, King of the Ring winner, Money in the Bank winner. Multiple-time United States champion, SmackDown tag champ, Raw tag champ, world champion, and then three-time WWE world champion. So, I mean, like, wow. Like, you think about just his career and his run, it's like if a guy did half of that, he'd be considered like, oh, what an amazing career. But look at it. I mean, Sheamus is building up this huge resume, and then now still they plugged him in a feud with Drew McIntyre that was leading to McIntyre fighting for the title, but they can always kind of plug and play him in, in a main event. And it's believable because you're like, oh, it's Sheamus, the you know, multiple-time world champion. I know he's U.S. champion now, but it's like he was the world champion. They can kind of plug and play him in a main event anytime they wanted to. 
Yeah, uh, he, he's he's proved his worth. He's got the experience. He's got the credentials. He's got everything uh, that constitutes being a superstar and future Hall of Famer. No doubt about it. So, um, how long can that career go? How long can he last? I think it can last as long as he wants it, and as long as he stays healthy and looks the part. Because uh, it is a young man's game, no doubt about it. But if you're still in shape and you still look the way he looks and uh for it then uh he, he can he can keep being a major player he can keep being an asset uh to the company and to professional wrestling as a whole so that's that i think is something he looks for every day as well that not not only improve for himself but to know that he's going to be a part of the company for a while and a, and a part of uh, and he's been a, a long time staple obviously of the WWE since 2009 ish is, is basically when he first came up but man he's uh he's had quite a run and quite a career when you look back at Sheamus and and you're thinking back at him did you always kind of foresee him being this big star did you always kind of foresee him being able to be this multiple-time world champion and multiple-time U.S. champion and tag champion and everything else, did you always see him as, as this major player for them? Yeah, I think we all had the the opinion that, that special and was going to be a main eventer. One of those guys, again, that you say you can't really see him uh, opening the match too many times uh, once he gets seen because he doesn't look like a, a preliminary guy. He looks like a main event guy. He looks the part. And and that really is, um, I want to say 50%, but it's more like 90% looking the part. Uh, some people, you know, like like others who might be uh, not, not, as, not as unique, but at the same time, they had something. It made them stand apart. So that that's, yeah, he had that. He had that look. He had that feel that said he was a main event guy. He was, he was certainly, it was not out of the realm um, to, to suggest or predict a world champion by all means. I mean, and it, it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the, the pasty white skin or the red hair. It was, it was the way he wore his, uh, his gear to the ring. He looked like a badass. He looked like he was made to, to do battle. And that's that's a huge part of uh, the, pardon me, the aura and perception. He, and he nailed it on all counts. And what a run. I mean, he's had in, far from over because he's the United States champion right now. And it looks like just from the booking of it, I mean, who knows because they're unpredictable as hell because they don't know where they're going the next week. But it seems like booking-wise, he's going to be U.S. champion for quite a while. Uh, yeah, why not? I don't really know who. The only reason to knock him off is is to do it with an angle and and make it mean something. But but right now you have a guy who, who looks like that and and represents uh, the title. So why why do you want to rush to take him off? Take it off? I don't know. Plus, you got to re-solidify the championship because that's supposed to be like you know like the number one contender to the world championship. But let's raise the level of the title, have Sheamus have for a while, build credibility and build the title back up by having successful title reign. By all means, and everybody who uh, uh, wrestles for that title will will get experience under Sheamus because you got to realize he's the veteran now. And uh, he, he's not only a veteran in years, but he's a veteran in learning how to, how to go about 
defending a championship and, and working a championship match. I mean, uh, once you get the title, you have to uh, defend it and think about the elements you want to bring to the match or you want to bring to the angle or you want to bring to the overall feel um, to who you're working with. So he, he's got a lot of input on that. And uh, so far, he's, he obviously has been doing good because if he wasn't, they would have took it right off him. I think that's a perfect stopping point. And let's talk about your book, A Pro Wrestling Curriculum, Advice, Suggestion, and Stories to Help the Aspiring Pro Get to the Next Level. Dr. Tom, where can they get this awesome book? Well, you can get that awesome book at jpwrestlingacademy.com. It is on the front page. All you have to do is click it. It'll take you to Amazon.com. It'll just take you to the order page right there. And uh, that's where you can get it. Um, I also have, which which I really can't, I really, I can't, it's not that I can't, I won't say anything about it yet until it gets closer, but I have some more really cool news coming up uh, that I'll let everybody in on as it gets closer because I don't want to jinx that either. Kind of like the lady sitting next to me saying, boy, Watery, huh? Hey, listen, that's my seat right in between you. You guys want some pizza? It's got onions and anchovies and, uh, yeah, all the smelly stuff on there. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Also, go to ProWrestlingTees.com, go to Dr. Tom's store, or go to the JPWA store there as well. Like Tom said, check out the website. You also check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can check out Dr. Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Also, check out the website tmptempire.com. Dr. Tom, what else you got going on? Uh, you know, we're going to be in Indianapolis uh, this next weekend. Uh, it oh. is, yes, it is the Squared Circle Expo at the Wyndham Indianapolis uh, West, I guess it's. Uh, 2544 Executive Drive in Indianapolis. I will be there on the 15th. I'm actually driving up this Friday, the 14th of uh, May, and uh, going to meet up with uh, my friend Jason Maples and uh, hang out for a, for a day and see what happens. Yeah, Nice. That very sounds good. very good. Seems like a lot of uh, pretty big names are going to be at the uh, Squared Circle Expo. There will be. Uh, I believe uh, Kane will be there, um, Booker T, uh, a couple of other people, I'm not sure. But, yeah, uh, well, yeah, looks looks like a good one, uh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it should be fun. Should be a lot. I love Indianapolis, by the way. I've been up there a couple times, and uh, uh, I've had a fun time. Thank you, uh, Dr. Tom, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you right back here on Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother.